Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is one of those days that I always look forward to because it's that day of the week where we start off with Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. And the power panel is here and in place. Pastor Tom Parrish, Jeff Verdorn is my power panel today, which means any questions you have, we will do our very best to answer. The text line is 877 933 Again, 877-933-2484. In the green room, gentlemen, we were... Oh, by the way, welcome. Good to be here, Bill. Hi, Bill. Yeah, thank you. I was, really, I was moving quickly here today. Uh, uh, we know each other. Yeah, we do. Yeah. In the green room, we were talking about uh, when you've gone through some trauma. Maybe you've lost a child. And how how is the church equipped to handle people that might have long-term suffering and they don't know how to cope and deal with it i'll be as nice as i can as a pastor the answer is poorly the reason being that there's i don't know of any training in seminaries for that kind of long-term follow-up most pastors go from day to day deal with the emergency right now and then go on and most pastors are not in the process of training leaders in the church to be ministers of the gospel such as elders or uh you know uh, women that can go out and minister to women and as a result there is no long-term follow-up, and that's where the breakdown comes because that's where the devil goes to work on people. You know, this was unfair. Why did Jesus do this to me? I thought he loved me. What's going on? I find that when people lose loved ones, especially children, and I've been down that road, you have to follow up with them for anywhere, and I don't want to scare anybody, from two to five years to where there is a there's a regular follow-up or at least the phone call, thinking of you today. I know today is the anniversary of this or that. And it's tough, but it has to be done if we're going to be a church that really represents Jesus. I've seen some cases where I do think the church in the immediate setting of of a loss does a pretty good job. Yes. Um, You know, we have pastors who come alongside of families. We have funeral services generally in churches and so on. But you're right. At that one-year anniversary, at the two-year anniversary, those are the times can, can even be harder for the individual who has suffered the loss uh, because you don't have all the people around, you don't have the services going on, you don't have uh, you know the, the 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 serving of food in the basement of the church after the funeral with all of the people there to to comfort you, and it's those times when you're maybe more alone than not that are probably the hardest. And I think the church, the body, needs to remember that God is a God of all comfort. And Paul says to the Corinthians that we comfort others with the very comfort that God gives us. So we should encourage one another, build up one another, comfort one another, just all the one another's in Scripture that comes from God, who is a God of all comfort. It's interesting, as I've followed up with families, uh, both from other churches as well as the churches I've served, long-term, especially those that have fallen away, they're not coming anymore. They haven't been around for a long time. And when I follow up and I I ask them, what was the major reason you left the church? Well, in the beginning, they're not going to tell me. 
You know, well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. When you finally get down to it, it was nobody was there to love me and to help me when I was in such grief. And I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't hear Jesus' voice to save my life. Mm. What am I supposed to do as a Christian? And it let me down, so therefore, I don't feel I need the church anymore. Well, I'll ask listeners, if you have suffered a loss similar to what we're talking about, and you go to church faithfully, and you wished someone would reach out to you and say, do you think about, can we pray about, uh, are you getting that? Are you receiving that kind of comfort or not? I'd be curious. You know, at what, at what point do you do you feel uncomfortable bringing it up? At what point do you say, should I be bringing this up? Do people want to talk about it or do they not want to talk about it? I'm sure, I'm sure it's very personal. It probably is, and it probably varies from person to person. But as Christians, we also re- need to remember, and everybody, even those who have experienced the loss, that God says that we mourn, but not like those who have no hope. Right. And if the person that you lost, especially as a believer, obviously, I mean, I've been to many funerals of believers. I've been to many funerals of unbelievers. Mm -hmm. They are two different things, I'll tell you. And when we mourn, we do mourn. We mourn the loss, but not like those who have no hope. That's the great hope of Christianity, that we will live even though we die. If you go to a Bible-believing church, one that really preaches the gospel, traditionally what you're going to hear over a year is the salvation message the call to repentance message, the call to be a disciple message, uh, the second coming message. There's going to be a lot of that. But the 59 one another passages that direct the church how we're to behave toward one another. How many are there? 59. Oh, I didn't know that. We don't talk about those. you know. And it's there over and over and over to comfort one another, to confront one another, to bear one another's burdens. And I came out of conviction many years ago. I preach about these on a regular basis because people need practical ways how do you go about this? How do you bear other people's burdens that are hurting? And I try to make sure, and as I teach other pastors and I get the chance to do that, I try to lay that out. Here's a, here's a process, one, two, three. Here's what you got to do. And I think the greatest tool, Bill and Jeff, that's available today, I wish I would have had an early ministry, is a cell phone. Hmm. Because when I have a funeral, I can tap on that cell phone on the date of the funeral and say, you know, mark out one year or mark out a month or mark out 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that thing pops up on that date. And I know I can, you know, when I call people and I say, hey, Jim, I know it's been a year since, you know, you lost your son. Wow, you're the only one who remembered. Well, I'm not brilliant. I'm not, you know, that good. But I've found how to use tools that will make it work. And every pastor, every lay leader should be using that. And and I would just add, and not just every pastor because we are the the ones sitting in the pews Absolutely. are the body of Christ, and we should be doing exactly this. Don't rely on the church to to make those phone calls. Don't rely on your pastor to make those phone calls. We, as the body, should be making those phone calls. Exactly. Listener just said, I lost my identical twin brother at age 22. Suffered a heat stroke in the Army. Imagine mm-hmm. how much that would hurt. That hurts terribly. Mm-hmm. And I know in my experience, when you lose somebody like that, many times there's no... You know, people say, well, at least you got closure. I often wonder, because I deal with people in grief all the time, what in the world does closure mean? Mm-hmm. Because the person who's lost someone, it doesn't like end at that point, and then you go on. It's like you may get some answers, but you're still hurting. Mm-hmm. And you will hurt, literally, that person will hurt until the day the Lord calls them home. That's why we need to step in now and be near to them. My father was orphaned at age nine. He lost mother and father and grandparents in a car train wreck, lost everybody all at once. He had 
a sister and two brothers. And they were split up to the four winds because it was prohibition time in that era. And, of course, there was a $5,000 life insurance policy. So everybody got, what, twelve fifty or whatever, and that was a lot of money. To the day he died when he was 86, he was still grieving over the loss of his parents and grandparents and the loss of his and not being with his siblings. And here I'm his son, and I'm a pastor. And many times he asked me, why would the Lord allow this to happen? Mm. That really kind of wakes you up. Mm. Interesting. And, and I suppose there are things not to say uh, because I've said those things. <laughs> I, have well, we spoken, have. I have spoken things that I've apologized for. And well, I was I was completely innocent at the time. I know. Well, what I are I some of those things? I mean, let's talk about that just for a second. What are some of the things that you probably shouldn't say? Well, oh, so, oh, sorry, Tom. You, <laughs> no, no, no. You've you heard go, it all. You go ahead. No, I, I didn't want to confess my sin right in, on the radio. If I we want you I to, if I didn't have to. <laughs> well, I, I have a, a high school a dear high school friend who lost a, a child. A child was about one, um, and I I said that stupid thing. I said that stupid thing thirty some years ago. Yep. Don't even make me repeat, <laughs> you know. But that baby is in heaven right now, you know. So, oh yeah. I, I if anybody, my wife said that when our grandson was was killed, yeah. That if anybody at the funeral said to her, "Well, there's another angel in heaven," she said, "I would hit them in the nose." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, nobody did. <laughs> yeah. Know, so nobody got yeah. a punch. But that's basically the punchline: is is that your your child is? Yeah. And it's not a punchline. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The the go to line is your child is now in heaven. I think the problem is, unless you go through that kind of grief, you don't think it through. Now, the Bible offers us a lot of advantages if we read the Word of God and how Jesus dealt with grief, how the disciples dealt with it, what Paul said about it, you know, in the Old Testament. We need to, the basic thing is 95% of the time when you're with people with grief, quit talking. Listen. Yes. And in that listening, the Lord will then give you insights or words to share or something to bring up. Yeah. Friend says, suit up and shut up. Yep. Mm. That's probably good advice. Yeah, I preach a lot, but when I'm with grief people, I don't say much at all. I'm <laughs> You're, smart. You're smart, Tom. All right, here's a uh, question that came in. Uh, Luke 7, 36 to 39, and John 12, 1 to 3, both tell the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. John says, it is Mary, and I assume it is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, as they are both mentioned. However, Luke speaks of a woman who lived a sinful life. Who was it? Well, I was just reading the John 12 passage yesterday, and so I'm going to go with that one. And the people are named in this account. I believe they are the same account. And what was the other reference? Luke, Luke 7, 7, 36 okay. to 39. Pull that just up in a minute. But um, in John, the, the, the two women are, and this is the whole Mary Martha thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, she's doing something good and... And, uh, and then we, of course, we have Judas's reaction to the whole thing, and and he thought this was a waste because he thought we sh- you should sell it and give it to the poor. But it gives us an insight into the character of Judas in that moment, right? That he uh, often helped himself to the money bags, and that was his motivation for the whole thing. He's the last guy you wanted a funeral talking to you. That's exactly right. <laughs> Wouldn't or, go well. Or managing the purse, right? And uh, so I think it's named there. And now I'll turn to the Luke seven thing. What? Tom, what do you got? Isn't that Simon the Pharisee when Jesus was at Simon the Pharisee's house and a woman came in and... Well, most people attribute that to Mary Magdalene. Now, that's not fair. Because the only thing the Bible says about Mary Magdalene's definitive is she had seven demons Mm -hmm. which were cast out. But she gets lumped into that all the time. And I don't know. The other... And you guys can help me. I think there are in the New Testament at least four different Marys that are referenced. 
And so you've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. You've got Mary Magdalene. Um, you've got a couple others in there. And we need to, to be really careful about who that is because I often don't know, and the Bible doesn't give me enough information to make that judgment. Mm-hmm. All I look at is, in the context here, this was a woman who obviously came with some real problems. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a break. You're listening to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. They're doing a nice job. Let me know what questions you have for them. We'll do our very best to answer them. 877-933-2484. Text your question over. We'll get right on it. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Back with Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk, Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn are here and ready and willing to take your questions. All right, let's get back to this topic of Luke 7 and John 12. Tells the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. John says it is Mary, and I assume it is the, it is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, as they're both mentioned. However, Luke speaks of a woman who lived a sinful life. So the question is, is obviously this is a woman with real problems, was it two different instances that happened twice, or was this the same story told two different ways? Yeah, so I looked at this a little closer over okay. the break, and it's it's I think it's two different accounts. Luke 7 uh, is in the house of a Pharisee. A Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner, and this is, by the way, earlier in Jesus's ministries. In the John 12 account, it's six days before the Passover. It's it's literally Passion Week. This is when Jesus shows up in the final week of his earthly ministry. He's going to be crucified later in the week, and he's in the house of Lazarus. So he's, it says that he arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived. Uh, so these are two different accounts. Mm. Okay. So I had some interesting comments come in from listeners regarding grief. Thank you so much for covering this topic. We lost our three-week-old daughter almost 14 years ago. Looking back now, all that we wanted to hear from people at the time is that they cared, they were sorry for our loss, and they were praying for us. Absolutely. Yep. I've been through the same process. I know what you're saying. You're absolutely right. And the, the hard part is, is that when you've gone through that kind of grief and you're a believer in Jesus... There does come a day with, even in the midst of your grief, and I lost my grandson almost 19 years ago, and it still hurts to this day, but I had to learn 
I have to go out now and minister to others in those situations because I kind of know where they're at. I don't know exactly, but I know the hurt. And so appropriate touch, you know, whatever that may be, just a hand on the shoulder. And what that woman just said, perfect stuff. Mm-hmm. And then follow up and pray for them. Yeah. When you say you're going to, do it. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine the grief Mary would be having, the mother of Jesus? Oh. Inconceivable, right? Because she witnessed what she witnessed. Yeah. Now is her son's in the tomb. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Here's another comment. As a child, church leaders discounted grief, and I just needed to get over my dad's death. As, well, an, as an adult, it was the individuals I was personally connected with, not the church leaders, who checked in with me. For my prodigal child, the church helped a bit with money when I sent her to residential treatment, but I went outside the church for emotional support. Well, as a church leader, I want to truly say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was wrong. And... Again, as I look at seminary training, as I look at what pastors do day to day, most pastors have no training in this. And that's not to say that they're not responsible. Of course they are. I had to learn by the, you know, seat of my pants on a lot of these things. But church pastors have to be lovingly confronted by their leadership and say, how do we organize ourselves? Not that you have to do it alone, but how do we organize ourselves so that we are following up long term? And we are supporting people, and we are letting them share their grief and their tears, because I know people that five years later are still crying. Yeah. And they need to cry, and that's okay. How do we help them do that? It's hard for me to imagine someone who is in ministry saying to someone, just get over it, especially when it comes to a parent, you know, at a, at a younger age. I mean, I, I just can't fathom that. That's that's mal. Is there malpractice in 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 the ministry? Is it is that a thing? Like, can you? Well, you know, I, I wish there was, but there isn't in, in that sense. Yeah. But the truth of it is, even in the ministry, there's a lot of stupidity and ignorance, and we have to repent of that. You know, I mean, how many times in all of all the time you've ever gone to church, in all the years, has the pastor ever stood in the pulpit and said, "A couple of months ago, I told you this and this and this. I was wrong." I sinned against you and against the Lord. Please forgive me. I've done that at seminars with people. I think I've had one person raise their hand. Look, we're human beings. We're just people. We're called to a certain role, but we have to be the most open about repenting openly. And I tell parents, do the same thing with your kids. And and just remember, they said other people outside of the church leadership. That That's still the church, like we were talking about earlier. Members of the body sure. of Christ is the church. That's mm-hmm. the ecclesia, the fellowship of believers. So that's still the church coming to a person's side, whether they happen to be in full-time paid ministry at a local church building or not. Yep. But my contention is this, and I agree with Jeff 100%. Let's not do it by default with the members doing it. The leadership needs to organize so the members do it and have the equipment to do it, and everybody knows how to do it. And so there's the long-term follow-up from the whole body of Christ including so-called the paid professionals. All right, and now we'll take a short break for a guy talk attaboy. (laughs) Really nice comment. This this is a new thing? No, no, I never want to do this again. Let's get attaboys every week. No, no, it's just, this is so sweet. I I just have to say this, but we get comments like this, and I don't read them out loud that often, but this is very sweet. I just wanted to send a note to thank you for being on the air today. I am at my destination and sitting in the parking lot still listening to the radio. Wow. Mm. Wow. You are all just so wonderful to chat with and very much appreciated. I pray you have a wonderful Minnesota spring day. And this person uh, uh, seems to live in the Washington, Seattle area. Cool. 
that nice? We're very Nate, blessed no, to hear that. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, we are uh, very grateful. Thank you. All right. Um, so if you have had a, an occasion where you weren't sure how to how to love on somebody who's in in a loss, and certainly, I think we've all been there, mm. where you you try so hard <laughs> to show up and care, and guys have a tendency of wanting to fix stuff or at least say the right thing, and and you know, I I just want to say, if we have issues and if we've had misfires, God has forgiven you, and. Because I've needed forgiveness for the times that I've done and so things have and said things All that were us. just kind of stupid. Yep. yep. Nobody's exempt. The issue is how many times are you going to keep doing it until you finally learn the right way to do it and put to work, to work the Word of God so that you really care for people and help them in their difficult time? You know, the using Scripture, because Scripture is God-breathed. Mm-hmm. It is living and active. Um, and, and so turning to Scripture, uh, uh, dropping a note saying, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying about you and putting some scripture, comforting scripture verses in there is always appropriate. Um, I always believe that love is, loving someone is is much more of a verb than it is a noun. Absolutely. And so if there is something that you see that that person needs, if they need help with meals or if they need some financial help because of their loss or whatever, remember that loving them is is an action. We can love through our actions. So we can do things. I know the common line is, hey, if you ever need anything, yeah. you know, give me a call, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm guilty of that myself. And it's it's an offer, and it's a genuine offer. Of course. But it it it, it leaves the action up to the person in order to contact you, and maybe they aren't comfortable with that. So if you see that need and can meet that need, then love them by meeting that need. And many times the Lord puts the initiative in our heart. He tells us that we should step beyond that. We had a family, one church I served, he had cancer in his mid-30s, wife, young child, uh, they couldn't make their house payment anymore. And so after hearing a dozen people, including myself, saying, we'll pray for you, I went to leadership and I said, we've got to stop doing that because I think the Lord has answered the prayer. We need to go out and solicit funds. And believe it or not, we brought it before the congregation, and in one month we raised $29,000. Wow. And that went into the bank, and then the bank wrote the check for the payment every month hmm. for the next year and a half or two years or whatever it amounted to. I love those God economy stories, don't you? He knows what he's doing. Oh, he does. I went to Evie Hills Church in Los Angeles in Watts, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist, years and years ago. And the service started at 10 and got out at 1.30. And I thought, oh, I don't want it to end. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they were, uh, Pastor Hill was saying, all right, we've got some needs here in the congregation. Uh, wow. We've got uh, Janelle. She uh, needs a new muffler, and she yeah. doesn't yep. have the money for it. Yep. So there you go. Uh, who's willing to put up $25 towards the, the, the muffler? And you see all these hands come up, and they're, and he's just taking care of the body. It was wow. it was spectacular. Wow. It's getting exciting at the church I'm at. It's, it's a bunch of Scandinavians. <laughs> uh, but we had Palm Sunday, and we really had some up-and-coming music, you know, yeah. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And they were swaying in no, the pew. They were swaying. No. Oh, honestly, oh, I it don't was happening. You, any hands raised? Were there any hands They were raising hands. Raised? hands. Nah, it, was, right. it was exciting. You're losing all credibility. All right. <laughs> we're going to take a break and come back with more Guide Talk. Let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. It is Guy Talk today. Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdor on my power panel. We'd be happy to take your questions. 877-933-2484. You can text it over and we'll take your question. Gentlemen, as we look at the news, we don't have to go very far to see what appears to be a tremendous confusion among gender identities. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about biblical manhood. What do you understand that? How about humility before God, controlling your appetites, protecting your family and providing for it, and leading your family to Christ? How's that for a start? I like it. I do too. You know, so many of these kind of social issues are kind of Genesis issues. God made a man and he made a woman, and, and this is... Not too complicated, actually. And <laughs> it's not. It's not. And, uh, you know, and he has said that a man and a woman should come together and they become one flesh. I tell you this mystery that I, they will become one flesh, but I'm talking about Christ and, and his church, his body. And so just as Christ has one with his body, so a husband and wife come together and become one flesh. And, and these are profound truths. And uh, he calls for sexual uh, activity between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. Um, And so these things are all pretty kind of Christianity 101 kind of stuff. This is God's design. And when we follow God's design, things tend to go well for us, Mm -hmm. right? When Israel followed God's ways, they would be blessed. And when they didn't follow God's ways, there were consequences. For example, you go to Deuteronomy 28 and they received the law from God. And it's the first part of the chapter is, if you now follow these laws, here's how you'll be blessed. And if you don't follow these ways, here are the consequences or the curses that will come upon you. I think when man deviates from the owner's manual, which is God's word, mm-hmm. right? Every product has an owner's manual. And when we deviate that, things tend to, to get broken and don't work right. And I think that's a pretty good summary of the gender confusion we're experiencing in the world today. It's a good word. You know, I discovered that psychologist Jordan Peterson and I think an awful lot alike because he said the other day, and I have believed this and I have done this with my three boys, I raised all three of them to be like Jesus and also to be warriors Mm. because we need men today. You know, this toxic masculinity is, I think, the devil's way of making men passive. We are to protect our families. We are to give guidance in our community. We are to stand up for the truth and not back down. We are to be there in the midst of crisis. But it means that we're there as Jesus would be there. But there does reach a point where maybe we've got to shut the door and lock it for our family. Maybe we've got to stand up to somebody and say, no, we have reached a passivity, even in the church, that has allowed this to happen. Do you realize if the church actually stood for the Bible in America, we'd hardly hear any more about these things going on. Hmm. And what I get irritated at, my liberal friends, and I still count them as friends, but they think I'm really strange because of my position and what I believe. They're, they call me homophobic. They call me transgenderphobic and all this and that. My contention is, yeah, you're great in the beginning and in the publicity, but where are you afterward when their life is falling apart? Where are you when they regret they've gone through this? I'm the one that gets to be there along with other pastors I know to counsel these people and work with them, but I don't see you showing up. And so I think both sides of the story need to be told. You know, these people that are pushing for it think they're so wonderful. 
but they don't look at the back end. What's happening to so many of these people and how much help they really need? Yeah, and in the scripture, the kind of the battle language, if you were, stand firm in faith with the, the, the armor of God on, on you, contend for the faith. These are all contending for the truth, for God's truth, for his ways, for, for the word of God. And uh, as men, we should know the Word of God. We should teach these things to our children. Ephesians exhorts parents, both parents, to bring up their kids in training and instruction of the Lord. So that's number one job, to know God's way so that you can know the truth and spot the counterfeit. There are so many lies in the world today that if you do not know the truth and God's truth and his ways, you're going to, you're going to, swallow these these lies of the world left and right. So you're absolutely right. But contending for fighting, sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you say, have to say that is wrong, yeah. right? And yeah. say God's ways is this way. At the same time, it should we should always speak the truth in love. Yep. That love should be the first step of in course. all of these conversations. I preached not long ago on the role of male and female, what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I... I really kind of got a glimpse into as I was looking at the Greek text. And and don't you're not going to see Mona Lisa in the Greek text, but it, it kind of hit me rather hard. The man's role in the marriage, a Christian husband, you know, the Mona Lisa is the most famous painting in the world of a woman. You are to treat your wife like a Mona Lisa. It's not that you're there to dominate her or to tell her what to do or to make her grovel when you come in the door or to do the, what you don't want to do. You are there to treat her as though she's really somebody extraordinarily special. And think about that. Who does that today? And if Christian men would do that with their wives, I don't think we'd hear some of the backlash we get from our society that, you know, well, men are just chauvinistic, especially if they're Christian. No, it's much, much different than that. Yeah, so so God's ways as husbands love your wives as Christ loved yep. the church and gave himself up for her. Yep. All right, so in a lost and broken world, do you stay friends with someone who believes a lie like men can get pregnant? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's never wrong to point out the truth, right? So, Agreed. yes, you 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 can befriend these people. Remember, what does light have in common with darkness? Zippo. Right? So we don't, we don't have anything in common with the lost world. But that doesn't mean we separate ourselves from the world. We have been separated from the world. We do not belong from the world, in the world. We are in the world, but not of the world, as, as commonly referred to. And I, I, I think that is the description in Scripture. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So yes, we love these people. We can befriend them. We can take them out. But hopefully, we're also dropping truth bombs into their of life course. and praying for them as we go. Well, think about Jesus with Zacchaeus. That was the first song I learned next to Jesus Love Me in Sunday School. He climbed School. the tree. Zacchaeus was a, yeah, you know the song. Zacchaeus, when he was up the tree so that he could see Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, I'm going to your house today. We don't hear that Zacchaeus had come under conviction of his sin, that he had repented, that he was going to throw it. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus goes, you are. And they go. It's in the midst of being there that oftentimes we can make the difference. And I think we cannot be afraid to be there, and we cannot. And I will never burn a bridge with anybody because I never know when the Lord's going to ask me to walk back over it and talk to them. And Jesus did the all of the, many places in Scripture. It says that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, my goodness. I know. Where's that passage where it says if you go into a town and, and they they don't listen to you, dust the... Just the dust off the dust off your feet and, and leave. Uh, yeah, and leave. Yeah, yeah. There, 
to you know to be frank, I, there's some people in my life that I've just kind of decided, you know what, it, this is like throwing pearls before the swine, right? Yeah. And I've dusted my feet off and I've left. It doesn't mean that I, I still don't love them with the love of Christ, but uh, you know, there are difficult people to be around, right? Yeah. So well, there are. None there of are. those people are in this room right now, are they? No, not okay. at all. <laughs> but if you think of the context of what Jesus says there, he was sending them out to proclaim the gospel. They were going from town to town. They only had so much time. And so he said, if you go in and proclaim and they reject you, mm-hmm. wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next place. Gotcha. But he never taught them that those people were lost and should never be witnessed to Correct. again. There was none of that. Point. And same thing in our life. Mm-hmm. Nice comment. Men need to be confident enough to believe they can go into any fight and win that battle and yet strong enough to control that strength so that the battle never takes place. Yeah, that exactly. is that's Jordan Peterson by the way. You that's mentioned exactly Jordan right. Peterson. Yeah. I just saw his video about weak men and uh, there's no virtue in weakness. Uh, there's no someone who is strong who controls that strength. That is virtuous. Isn't yep. that the definition of meek in scripture? It's like I, a strong horse under control. There exactly. you go. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. All right, if you have a question for us, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Luke 20, Luke 20, 41 to 44. Luke 20, 41 to 44. I'm giving you guys a little time to look this up. And the question is, mm, what does this mean? Jesus said to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can be? How then can he be his son? Yeah, so this is a little riddle. How can the, the, a descendant of David... Uh, be referred to as Lord by David, right? And mm-hmm. and the only answer is is that you're speaking of the Messiah who pre-existed his incarnation, right? As Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, right? So before Jesus was born, Jesus existed. David uh, um, uh, mentions that as the Lord, um, you know, back in the Old Testament, and yet we know that as far as his human lineage is concerned, he was a descendant of David, and there's kind of the answer to the riddle. Yeah, it's 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 you're right. He is a descendant, but it's not so much a DNA question. It's much more an authority question. And Jesus came with the authority of a King David, who is the greatest king of all Israel. He came with the authority of Melchizedek. He came with the authority that the Pharisees and Sadducees did not operate properly in. And he came with the authority of God the Father. And so what you see is you keep getting these different pictures of Jesus through the ancestors of the past, who he really is. And I believe, like you, I believe even in the Old Testament, Jesus was there for David. Uh, But it's not so much the blood type I'm worried about. It is the authority. And Jesus has that authority. Yeah, and because remember— that he was a descendant of David was a prophecy in the Old Testament. Yeah. That's one of many, up to 100 prophecies, direct prophecies for the coming Messiah, that he'd be a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, uh, from the line of Judah, a descendant of David. And the genealogies in Scripture actually prove that, not by biology, but uh, by but Mary was still the human mother, sure. that he was adopted into that family, and therefore... Uh, David could call him a son, as verse 44 says. Of course. 
Let's see. When John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God, did he know Jesus came to die for us? Good question. This is, it's kind of when Abraham was told by God that all the nations would be blessed through him. Did he understand that that was a a, a, a prediction that the Messiah would come from his line? Probably not. Uh, uh, I don't know that David understood that what the Messiah was going to come and do, even when, even in the words that we just read uh, in in Luke about him. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, probably not. Jesus at the time that that the John the Baptist said those words was just beginning his public ministry. It wasn't until much later that he started teaching that he would be handed over to the Gentiles, crucified, put to death, buried, and, and rise again on the third day. So that teaching hasn't happened. So he probably didn't completely understand uh, the plan that was set before him in the, over the next three and a half years. And I agree because I've been preaching and teaching for almost 50 years. I've done a lot of counseling with people. And I'll be honest, there have been times things have come out of my mouth that I didn't know where they came from. I didn't even think about them, but they fit. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like when people get the word of knowledge and they say to somebody, tell me what happened in the third grade. You know, and I've had people sit there in shock. How did you know? You know, huh. well, Jesus told me that's how I know. But but it's, you don't, I don't know at all. All I know is that I'm prompted and calling Jesus the Lamb of God. I think he was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And again, the emphasis is not on John the Baptist. The emphasis is on the Lamb of God, who is Good Jesus, point. who comes to take away the sin of the world. Nice work, gentlemen. We'll take a break and come back and answer your question. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484 with your question. Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let me know what your question is. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Back to the show. It's time for Guide Talker, Guys Who Talk. If you just joined us, we've had a wonderful conversation. Pastor Tom Parrish, Jeff Verdorn. So how does God meet us in our times of transitions? Maybe you just lost your job, and that's a little nerve-wracking. Maybe there's something really uncertain, a prolonged illness. There's something that's just in front and center of your mind. Maybe it's causing you to lose some sleep. Maybe you're wondering, how's the Lord going to come alongside me in this transition, and what does he have next for me, and how long am I going to have to wait? One of the problems I see with people in these transitions, especially Christians, is they privatize the transition. In other words, they're talking to Jesus about it all the time in their prayers, but they're not telling anybody else what they're struggling with. And as a result, they may get words from the Lord. That does happen, though he may lead them to Scripture. But as I look at the Word of God— the majority of what the Lord wants to say to us is in his word and through his people. That's how it comes. And that's why 
I encourage every man and every woman to have a small group of men or women that are that they're close mm-hmm. to, they trust. You know, kind of like I trust you guys here, where I can tell you honestly, this is how I feel or this is what I think, and I know you're going to give me godly advice and they're going to throw me away. So I would encourage people in transition, find those two or three people, talk to them on a regular basis, pray with them, listen to them, and let the Lord speak through them in your circumstances. It's, it's easy to become a lone ranger, though, isn't it, it in very those easy. circumstances? Yeah. Every Christian should have that small group mm-hmm. of trusted uh, fellow believers that they can. Uh, I have a group, a Tuesday morning group. I call them my Iron Men group. As iron sharpens iron, so one man's face sharpens another. And in times of need, of times of needed comfort, in times of transition, whatever, this group is where I'd go first. I would. I, I call it my anchor point in my week. You know, whatever is going on in my life, I I know I can come to Tuesday morning, and this is a safe place to bring up whatever we need to bring up and deal with for that week. I would say the only other thing that I think is very important is to remember we can't worry about tomorrow. Hmm. The past is already history. It's already done. And so we need to live in today, in, in the moment, right now. I think and and I'm guilty of this in my own way over over the years of worrying too much about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and dwelling too much on what's happened in the past and not living right now. I think if you're going to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, that's a current, present thing to do. Um, if I don't, I don't know that I really have a life first. Maybe I do. Philippians four six and seven says, "Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything." And his peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's living right now. Just give it to the Lord. Which you just did is exactly what I look for when I am in a small group of men or I train women to do this. You just said, hey, I have a tendency to to worry about this or do that or whatever. That is where you have to give me permission in the group. And I would ask you for this. I'd say, Jeff, from this moment on, you give me permission that when we meet, I can ask you if you're living in the day or you're living in the past or in the future. Mm. And then I'm not going to criticize you, but we'll pray together about it. And when I see men do that with other men, and I've had men after men after man tell me, that was the most freeing thing that ever happened to them because the devil wanted them to keep it in. Now they got somebody that's holding them accountable. Scripture says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We are to fellowship with one another. Um, there is power, there is strength when we are together. A a line of soldiers, all with shields and helmets and swords, is much more uh, formidable opponent than one soldier standing alone. So don't stand alone. Yep. But you have to be prepared in advance of the situation. If you don't have relationships, and then you find yourself in a transitional period, and you need this iron sharpens iron group, and it doesn't exist, you're in trouble. That's where you begin to go look for it and pray for it. Okay. Now, most people say, Lord, relieve me from this problem, solve my you know, education problem or my problem with my job or I need this money. But also I encourage you, pray, Lord, show me, bring into my life one or two other men or women, depending on the circumstances, that will represent you, that will stand there with me. And then pay attention to that. And sometimes it doesn't come right away. But I'll be honest, I've never seen it not happen. The problem is we don't ask for it. 
This is something else that the local church should be very active in facilitating, right? I'm, I'm fortunate my local church has a, a robust small group ministry and coordination to get everybody trying to get everybody connected into these types of groups. So uh, local churches, this, is, this should be a big effort on your part. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, do we know the length of time it took Noah to build the ark? Well, I think the Bible talks about 100 years, doesn't it? Or there it does. Was a That's long, my long recollection. Period of time. I thought it was yeah. 120. That's, it might have been it 120. It might have been 120, yeah. yeah. Do you guys know anything? Well, we try. <laughs> we, we can get close, you know. What's Google? Google? Google uh, that? I think you're right. I think actually it is 120 uh, years. He spent 120 years building a boat. Yeah. For and a every- flood that he never even <laughs> contemplated. And everybody laughed at him. And, and I'm sure he got mocked all 120 years. And his three kids got mocked too. Yeah. Your dad's nuts. You're, and you're nuts. And you're nuts. They were helping in the family. It was probably a family deal. And remember, the, the, the there's indications that it didn't even rain prior to the flood. It right. says, the Bible says that the uh, dew watered the earth and, and the springs of the depth watered the earth. And so there's a very distinct possibility that there was no rain prior to the flood. By the way, that's why the rainbow was such a big deal after the flood, mm-hmm. because there wouldn't have been a rainbow before the flood, which is only seen when you have rain with sunshine, right? Yeah. That's what, how a rainbow appears in the sky. Um, so he's trusting God for something that he can't even contemplate. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think Noah's kids got tired of hearing, kids, we need more gopher wood? <laughs> I, I'm sure there were some really <laughs> tense family discussions <laughs> through that time. I bet there was. All right. Is it true that in the Jewish culture, even if you have a non-Jewish father— but your mother is Jewish, then you are automatically a Jew. I have heard that that it, 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 your the genealogy of your mother is the most important. Really, I have. Hmm. I've heard it. I, I'm I'm not saying absolutely that's true, but I have heard that before. Yeah. Recently, I was asked, "Where did God come from?" I felt ill-equipped to answer. I just said, "He has always been." But since I but. But I sensed it wasn't a satisfactory reply. Well, it sounds like they were equipped to answer it because that's exactly the right answer, right? He's yeah, the Alpha yeah. and Omega, the beginning and the end. He has no beginning and he has no end. So that that is a very good answer. Mm-hmm. What I do with people, because I've had people ask me that question, and I used to try to come back. And you're right. You're exactly right. No beginning, no end. If, if you ask me that question, I come back to you and say, well, tell me, how big is the universe? How many millions of miles is it from when it, well, I don't know. That's way beyond my comprehension. That's so big. I said, so is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that answer. Yeah. Yeah, I like Did that. you like mine too? Or? <laughs> well, I, thought, I, thought, I thought yours was particularly good. <laughs> okay, good. You guys felt like you took a hit there from me today. No, yeah, we, we understand. Having fun. Yeah. So what about in, in biblical days of prearranged marriages? Were you able to opt out of those? You were. So, you know, the passage, uh, we've done this on air before, Bill, um, in the passage in John 14, where Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and take you to be where I am also. Well, that fits very well into the tradition, the first century tradition of of the the marriage process, where you would be uh, the the father of the groom would select a bride, and there would be this ceremony, but there's a component of that where the bride has to accept the offer. She still had an opportunity to say no, so it wasn't completely just forced, arranged. Uh, she still had that free will, I might add, to say, yes, I accept this, or no, I don't. 
mm-hmm. was in the Jewish culture. It's not in other cultures that had prearranged marriages because it was a contract between families or businesses, and the daughter had no say. Judaism, taking seriously the word of God that he created the male and female, did give that option to mm-hmm. the female, which is marvelous. And then in the New Testament, we go even further where we talk about husband and wife. This uh, question is probably our last one is, uh, does it matter? Obviously, we've got a, a big emphasis on spiritual attraction. And the question is, does it matter if you are physically attracted or not to someone you're considering marrying? And I'll leave it to you guys to answer that one. I I think most guys would find it useful, <laughs> I think. But look, when I met my wife, she came walking into this courtyard. Uh, we were already there. It was a work function. She came in with a friend and I, who I knew uh, from my college days. And I walked up. Her name was Ingrid. My wife's name is Julie. And I, I walked up and I literally said, hi, Ingrid, who's your friend? And that night... One of my other acquaintances says, why don't you guys just send out the invitation right now, <laughs> right? Because it was that evident to him, and we ended up being married, and we've now been married for over 30 years. So, huh. um, But, yes, we were physically attracted to each other. So, yeah, I, I, and there's nothing wrong with that, by no. the way. No, and I think everybody, to a degree, is attracted. Mm-hmm. But there's more we'll say next time. <laughs> All right. That's an interesting way to end. Thank you for uh, being here, and have a blessed Resurrection Sunday, gentlemen. Have a blessed Easter. Thank you so much. To all the listeners as well. Yes. Yes. We also had a secret special guest in studio today. That never got mentioned, but ha, that's uh, (laughs) still going to go unmentioned. All right. That's a cliffhanger. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, Tom Berkowitz, my Messianic Jewish friend, is going to come on and talk about Passover and everything else related to this weekend. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.